It is the 200 level episode 96. Mike Carpenter from the basement on a Tuesday morning. Spoke with Steve Holstein Monday afternoon for about an hour. That conversation coming up. For those who may not know, Steve was the host of Holstein and Company Mornings on Wixie, which is a juggernaut in Champaign-Urbana, and he was a major part of that station's success. And unfortunately, about a week and a half ago, this would have been on Friday, June 5th, he had his last show, and it was not of his own choice. This was a company decision, and they did not renew his contract. So we speak on that. We speak on his career, and it's sort of a commentary on where radio is at at the moment in terms of financials. It isn't so good, and that goes for a lot of different places, but the first thing that you will see go is advertising. They're going to pay their electric, water, employees first, but a business, the first thing they're going to cut is advertising, and that really, really puts a crimp on what radio stations can do. And in a market like Champaign-Urbana, unfortunately, we're seeing those effects right here at home. And when he loses a radio job, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it, it could be anybody, because if there were one personality in town that I would have said is recession-proof, it is Steve Holstein. But the good thing is that he is... A young enough guy where he's not done with his career, that's for sure. And he might get into podcasting, but he will probably have plenty of other opportunities when it comes to terrestrial radio as well. So great talking with him. Someone that, despite being the morning guy on the biggest station in town, a local fixture, there's no ego. And you stick around on radio long enough, and everyone has some semblance of an ego, if not a full-blown ego. That kind of goes with the territory. He doesn't. He is as unassuming of a person as you'll ever meet, but super sharp, super fun, and I think you'll enjoy that conversation. We just we kind of talk all things radio, and then for anybody in the Champaign-Urbana area especially, you might appreciate that local perspective from Steve. So we got that coming up, but there are plenty of sports things. Would you believe it? None of them necessarily good, except for one bit of news. There is one bit of good news, but there are plenty of sports things to talk about, which we'll get to in just a second. But a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com. You can get custom zones with any topping that you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone. You get the dipping sauce and they will again deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Vintage-inspired Illini apparel. And as the temperatures get warmer, you need to stay cool. And you can look cool doing it with these awesome t-shirts. I got two of them. I can vouch for them. These are high-quality t-shirts with designs that are usually throwback in nature. Go to 4thandkirby.com and use coupon code 200LEVEL or THE 200LEVEL for 10% off your order. And all year round, 365 days a year, buy two t-shirts, get one free fourthandkirby.com and finally state farm agent brian hansen online at brianismyguy.com life auto home renters business whatever they have all your insurance needs covered as most state farm offices would but the difference is that these guys over brian's agency local products born and raised champagne urbana so they have your local interest at heart as well that's brianismyguy.com for state farm agent brian hansen alani inquirer and the champagne showers podcast network partners with the 200 level, those are the particulars in what is a busy start to the week in terms of sports. Beginning with the good news, we will have the IHSA State Boys Basketball Finals right here in Champaign-Urbana for the first time since 1995. And I distinctly recall those finals and Peoria Manual, I think, won that year. And it was sort of the beginning of that dynasty that Wayne McLean had going up there. And the names were starting to surface of players that would become fixtures down here at the University of Illinois. So there was that direct tie-in. And back to the 80s, especially when there were enough studs, especially from Chicago, coming down to play in the state finals and then come to the University of Illinois. 
for most of my life, I didn't have that experience of these stud high school kids like an Adam Miller, let's say, or an IO that would have come down here instead of Peoria. Listen, this makes sense. And not just because of the bias that I have being in Champaign-Urbana or that I may be able to go to the games if, in fact, we can go to games in March 2021. But this is a coup for Champaign-Urbana and also for Brad Underwood in this program because you are likely in this four-class setup that you currently have in IHSA, that much more likely to get D1 studs to come down here and play in the semi and final games of the IHSA tournament. And that just opens up all these doors for guys that you'll probably be in their living room selling them on Illinois in the first place. But this is just one more added benefit that they actually get to come down and play in this arena, which, let's be real, the State Farm Center, if there was one thing that Mike Thomas did well, it would be the renovation of State Farm Center. And then over the years to see what Whitman and this current DIA have done to really make it a great game day experience, which I'm sure that they will use when the IHSA finals are back down here in Champaign-Urbana. All the pomp and circumstance that we see at Illinois games, no reason that they won't bring out all those bells and whistles for these high school games and really sell the stadium and by extension, the basketball program. So this is a coup for Coach Underwood, Illinois basketball, and also for Champaign-Urbana. It's just going to be cool that technically I could walk over to the IHSA State Finals beginning in March 2021, as long again as we can actually go to these games. So that's the good news. We're going to start with that. A couple things on the bad news front, starting with baseball. So as we sit here today on June 16th, it doesn't look all that promising that we're actually going to have baseball played. And this comes less than a week from when Rob Manfred said 100% guarantee there will be baseball this year, which as I said last week on the podcast, it's not going to feel great if we have a 50-game season, but it's going to be something. And rest assured, I would be very excited to watch those 50 games and whatever the playoff setup would look like, which I guess is not going to be expanded. At least it doesn't look like it will be at this point. The Players Union, the owners, they go back and forth to the point where the Players Union just says, tell us when and where, and we'll be there. And this would be a 100% prorated salary sort of thing. So essentially, they're getting paid 100% for the games that they play, and then it's in the owner's court to decide how many games they ultimately play. Rob Manford comes out on Monday and says, I'm not so sure we're going to have baseball after all, doing a complete about-face from what he said last week, reneging on that guarantee. Now, from an optic standpoint, it's bad, but I think it's even worse when you dig into why this is being done by the owners. And certainly, I've mentioned before that I have my own bias towards the players' union and unions in general. I tend to support them being part of a teacher's union. So bias aside, though, when you look at Major League Baseball and the ownership, the problem I have with them is that, for one, we are not going to get the financial disclosures that would tell us, uh-oh, man, if, if they actually pay these guys 100%, these owners are going to be in big-time trouble. And these franchises, they're going to be in the red. We don't know that, and we never will for sure. But there was a great tweet yesterday from, I think it was Giancarlo Stanton's agent. And he said, if you want to know the situation of you know financials in Major League Baseball, keep this in mind, that for 15 years, the Miami slash Florida Marlins played in front of essentially no fans. They gave Giancarlo Stanton the biggest, richest contract in Major League Baseball history, or at that time, professional sports history. And then ultimately, when they sold... They sold for $2 billion after a bidding war between five different investment groups. So that should give you a little clue as to the financials of Major League Baseball teams. And as Harry has even said here on this podcast, that it's not as if these owners, their main business is their baseball team. It's a toy. It's a side project. They clearly have enough money to buy the team in the first place. 
So long gone are the days of these family-owned franchises. I don't even know if any of those exist anymore. That's why, like, the Roonies in the NFL are such a unique situation because I think they've owned the Steelers since their inception. Same with the McCaskies. But in baseball, I don't know if you even have that anymore. These teams are owned by guys that already have big conglomerations and, you know, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even billions. So financially speaking, they can get this done. It's a question of want to, and clearly they don't really want to get the games going. And I've seen on Twitter before, and really especially the last couple of days, and I, I'm starting to not disagree with this, that more than any other sport, it appears that the owners in baseball just simply don't like the game of baseball. And I don't think that's hyperbole when you consider the fact it's this easy. Pay the players 100% of the games they would play. And yeah, I understand that you aren't going to be getting ticket revenue and concessions, all that. But yeah, you won't be making as much money. You may even be taking a loss. But you cannot ask players to come back during a pandemic and play for less than 100% of the games that they play. That doesn't make any sense. Gordon Wittenmeyer is the Cubs insider for NBC Sports Chicago. And this is a post. I'm going to read it from him because I think he just gets down to the nitty gritty, as Lante would say about the situation. He says, this isn't that difficult. One, pay the damn players for the games they play. Half the season, half the salaries. One third the season, one third the salaries. Two, play as many damn games as you can. Three, take a damn victory lap because you've finally done what looked impossible and gained the high ground in this debacle. Grievance? Deal with it. If you bargain in good faith, you might even win it. Losses? Deal with them. You didn't offer to spread any extra wealth around the players or fans during the industry's record-setting good times. In fact, it was mostly the opposite. Owners have had a ride on the easy money revenue train in this sport for decades. This is a significant downturn, but part of the risk of owning the massively lucrative business. The better it's handled, see NBA, the better position the league will be to recover more quickly. And with those six, seven quick paragraphs, Gordon Woodenmeyer really gets down to the essence of this. On July 4th, there should have been baseball games. It would have been the perfect welcome back moment for the sport of baseball, and no offense to golf, but the big welcome back for team sports in America. Come on, Independence Day, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, you name it, Dodgers, Giants, all the big marquee matchups to kick off this shortened, sure, but still Major League Baseball season. It was right there for them. And we sit here in mid-June and no real progress has been made. I understand early going with the negotiations. We could say, well, the players could have acquiesced a little bit more. Maybe so. But you need to keep in mind with a possible labor dispute as we go into the 2022 season that if they don't stand up for 100% of what they should get in terms of payment, if they don't stand up for the health and safety regulations that would make this feasible in the first place, they enter those negotiations in a really bad place. But I also understand that maybe they could have made a concession here, a concession there. What those are specifically, I couldn't even give you the answers, but there's no negotiation where there is only one party 100% at fault. But if we were to make a pie chart of this and put the blame on the owners or the players, it is becoming increasingly clear the further we get into this that they're playing a game of chicken, but the players have already said, we'll play. Tell us when and where. If that's the 50-game season, so be it. This is where Rob Manfred has vaulted to the top of the worst commissioner sweepstakes. Very impressively, if you consider the fact that Gary Bettman and Roger Goodell are on that same list, and all of a sudden, this guy, Rob Manfred, who it feels like out of all the commissioners, I've seen this on Twitter too, and again, I don't disagree with it. How much does he even like the sport of baseball? 
I understand the commissioner's roles are to represent the owner's best interest, and I'm sure he's trying to do that. So it's not like he's alone in this, but you would think as the leader of the ownership group that he would be a little bit more vocal in saying, guys, this is going to hurt our sport if we don't proceed with the season. Bleacher Report today came out that six to eight owners would rather not have a season. That's troubling when you consider eight owners, essentially 25% of Major League Baseball owners would rather not have a season at all. Back to this idea that, well, how much do they like baseball anyways? What's even more frustrating is, listen, as a Yankees fan, it's easy for me to continue to follow baseball no matter what happens. And I will because I love the Yankees and it makes my summers very enjoyable knowing, oh man, are they going to win 95 games or 102? That's easy for me to be a baseball fan. And I think that if you're a diehard fan, you're going to stick around. Maybe you'll go to a few less games and maybe it'll be a little bit tough when it does return to not feel a little bitterness towards the way this whole thing proceeded. But for the casual fan, and I don't necessarily know who that would be, but the the family of four that would decide, well, we got a nice weekend in June. Are we going to go to a Cubs game or not? This is going to make them that much less likely to do so. This will have ramifications far beyond just this summer, and that's where I think the owners are being short-sighted in all of this. We could say that the players are going to get a little bit of blowback too. If I recall, 94, it was the players that seemed to get the brunt of it, but that also might have been my youth and not really understanding how, well, these negotiations have two sides. I think back then I just sort of naturally said, well, the players are making money. Why why are they going on strike? Well, this is a little bit different when you had the pandemic and shortened season and all those sorts of things with it and the looming negotiations in 2022. But I hope, of course, we all do, that they find some sort of resolution. I hope that there's enough blowback over the last 24 hours, that Rob Manfred has no choice but to reverse course on this. Back to what he said last week, then 100% there will be games. And as Trevor had tweeted out, and I agree with this, well, you know, if you're telling me there's going to be games, I guess, all right, let's do it. Even with the moderately bitter pill to swallow of these back and forth negotiations that didn't go anywhere, that stalled and could have really been figured out a month ago. Kudos to the NBA for figuring their thing out. It's exciting to get NBA basketball back, even though it's not my favorite professional league by any measure. It's going to be live sports. But there's no reason in this summer of all summers we shouldn't be able to have baseball to watch. I don't want to get too idealistic here and say that baseball would essentially be performing a public service by coming back. But if you think about it, they kind of are more than ever. And as big as football is, and the fact that basketball, the NBA is now the second most popular professional league out of all of them, and I think has been for a few years at least. And Major League Baseball's right there firmly in third place. Even with all of that, there is something quite symbolic about the first baseball game to be played in the summer of 2020. It will be meaningful. Yeah, there won't be fans in the stands, but I think that we'll get over that rather quickly if it's a steaming hot July weekend and we can sit in our homes and watch a baseball game on TV. That is meaningful now more than ever. It'd be meaningful even if there wasn't a pandemic. Trust me, the idea of any summer without watching the Yankees is not really a summer at all. Just sort of like the idea of a summer not going to Dave Matthews Band, which would be this weekend coming up, and I don't even want to think about that. So this may get resolved. Rob Manfred is certainly going to have pie on his face for a while. The owners have dug in their heels enough where I think that if you were to kind of go with the court of public opinion, they would tend to side with the players union and all this. We can say that athletes are paid too much. I think it's such a lame argument. And I remember people, I mean, God, I mean, how many times in your life have you heard someone say, I think athletes and entertainers get paid too much? Well, at the end of the day, they get paid that much because they generate a ton of revenue. 
And yeah, the owners won't be getting 100% of that revenue. I totally understand why someone would make the argument the players should not be getting 100% if the owners won't be making 100% of what they normally do. I get that argument on its face. But it just seems as if now with 40 million unemployed and the current social climate going on, that this is the time for the owners to dig their heels in and say, well, it needs to be this way. Otherwise, we'd rather not have a season at all. It was petty going into this, and it's all the more petty when you consider it in context of what's going on. Hopefully within a week, we find something out. Again, Manfred coming out like that, I actually think it will backfire tremendously and be that much more pressure to have a season. Even if they don't, I'll be back next year. I'll always be a Yankees fan. I'll always be a baseball fan, but I'm a diehard fan to that extent, and I don't think that the casual Joe baseball fan is going to be that much more likely to come back in 2021, or at least there's going to be some reluctance and a loss of revenue well into the future. And these are businessmen. You think they would consider, what is it, opportunity cost? I wasn't very good in economics, so don't quote me on that. But wouldn't they consider the fact that lost revenue is probably looking them directly in the face if they don't have games this year through less ticket sales next year, through, I wouldn't say revolt, but certainly fans being that much less likely to go to the stadium. June 16th, hopefully a week from now, June 23rd, there'll be resolution. We'll have games, we'll have a schedule, something like that. I'm not counting on it, and I I really think that if there's a time to feel a little bit cynical about the way one professional league is going about their business, this would be it. And Rob Manfred, we'll see if that guy doesn't serve the shortest stint as commissioner, because Bud Selig, for all his foibles and just his weirdness, his spittle every time that he talked, he was there for a while, and you could argue that, yeah, he, he was sort of a stooge, but the game did experience growth throughout much of his tenure. Of course, at the end, it was kind of stagnating, and then you get Rob Manfred in there. Anytime a new commissioner gets in, I think there's this excitement that, well, this guy is going to be, you know, this guy's no nonsense. And that's what I was kind of hoping for with Rob Manfred, but instead we're getting a complete inept leader who's not making it clear to the other owners that, We're going to get massive blowback for years to come if we don't do this. All right, so that's baseball. And again, fingers crossed, because the Yankees could win it all this year. I don't care if it's a shortened season or not. I I would like World Series number 28, even if it comes with a 50-game regular season and they just sort of waltz through. I mean, the thing with the Yankees last year, injuries were a big problem. I'm thinking, I'm kind of liking this shortened season. Garrett Cole, you know, your $30 million a year ace, you you can let him go out there, pitch seven, eight innings every game. It wouldn't matter because you don't really need to worry about like an innings count. So of all the teams, I would think the Yankees are probably the favorites in the American League for sure in a shortened season even more so. So come on, figure it out, guys. Yesterday, this would be Monday, June 15th, was an interesting story out of, what is it, Stillwater? Stillwater, Oklahoma? Oklahoma State, the Cowboys football program led by Mike Gundy, who, of course, back in 2007, he uttered those famous words, I'm a man, I'm 40. Now, a lot of people kind of look at Mike Gundy, sort of like a Mike Leach character. He's larger than life, gregarious personality, always good press conference fodder. He has been struggling to an extent. Oklahoma State is not the program that they were even four or five years ago. I think over the last two years, they're about three games over 500. His record against Oklahoma, not so great. So I think that Oklahoma State fans are, they understand they could do worse than a Mike Gundy, but he's certainly not the hometown hero that he was five years ago. But yesterday, there was a picture that surfaced of him wearing uh, one American News Network shirt. Now, what is that, you may ask? Because 
a lot of these cable providers and dish companies, they, they don't have one American news network. At least a good chunk of them don't. You can probably get online for free streaming. But essentially, this is a network that I think started in 2013. It is a very conservative network. And it's essentially been sort of like a mouthpiece for the Trump administration since 2016, 2017. They publish a lot of conspiracy theories. And during this whole Black Lives Matter movement that has really taken the forefront in the last three weeks, they have been vehemently against it. One anchor lady, whose name escapes me, so went so far as to call it a farce. I don't know what her name is, but she's essentially playing Megyn Kelly. She's dressing up and playing Megyn Kelly from back in the day on Fox News. So One American News Network, this is Mike Gundy's favorite news source. In fact, he actually had a quote about it earlier this summer, saying that they're so refreshing, they just report on the news, they don't offer commentary, when in fact, basically all they do is offer commentary. Chuba Hubbard, I think I'm saying his first name correctly, he is the running back for Oklahoma State, stud. You know, NFL prospect, he's their star. And he sees this picture yesterday, Monday, June 15th. He goes up on Twitter and he says, all right, things got to change. I'm not not going to practice. I'm not doing any sort of sport activity until things change. And then after this, a chorus of his teammates, I think the entire offensive line, a bunch of other position players, they came out in support of Chuba Hubbard. I hope I'm getting that first name correct. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, we're about to see this new precedent set, something that would have major ramifications, especially in college athletics, where the players have almost a full-on mutiny and say, well, we aren't going to play for this guy. He doesn't represent what we think. He doesn't represent our values. We refuse to take the field until he is removed and replaced. Now, I understand that college football or just college athletes in general, they don't have a union. They don't have those powers. But I thought, wow, this could be going a very interesting direction that would totally change the power that college athletes actually have. Now, we saw with our own eyes here with Simon Sianovich back in 2015, I think it was Mother's Day 2015, when a single tweet really changed the entire trajectory of the Beckman era. And I know that Mike Thomas was probably looking for any excuse to get rid of Beckman, regardless of what that investigation showed. But it showed back then that a player could speak out and that would be enough potentially to remove a coach from their position. There are some gray areas with what happened back in 2015, Knowing the stories that even Harry would tell about Simon Sianovich, I think a lot of the players on that team resented what he did and thought that, well, the unsavory parts of what Beckman was doing were not fireable. And when you hear stories about what other coaches are doing with their players, when you hear about the Iowa strength and conditioning coach, who, by the way, is getting plenty of money to go away, and all the different guys that were hospitalized from the workouts and just the culture that he had, that to me is far more troubling than what Tim Beckman did. But I digress. Back to Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State. So I'm thinking full-on mutiny. This is going to be a really interesting trendsetter in terms of players that think their coach may not really have their best interest at heart saying, enough. He goes or I go. Now, what ultimately happened is there was a video that came out about, I don't know, what, two, three hours after Chuba Hubbard. Again, I feel bad <laughs> His name is just, it's an interesting name. I keep on wanting to say Chuba, which I know it's not, but Mike Gundy and Chuba Hubbard spoke yesterday in a video, again, about three hours after this came out, which essentially put this whole thing to bed all as well. Here's the one-minute clip of, and by the way, don't, don't mind the person behind the camera that is just breathing heavily. 
I don't know if he's got emphysema or what, but you will hear the breathing behind it. Just try to ignore that. And here's first Mike Gundy, followed by Chuba Hubbard. In light of today's tweet with the uh, T-shirt I was wearing, uh, I uh, met with uh, some players and uh, realized it's a very sensitive issue with what's going on uh, in today's society. And so we had a great meeting and uh, made aware of some things that uh, players feel like that can make our organization or our culture even better than it is here at Oklahoma State. And I'm looking forward to making some changes, and it starts at the top with me, and we've got good days ahead. I'll start off by first saying that I would have went about the wrong way by tweeting. I'm not someone that, you know, has to you know, tweet something to make change. I should have went to him as a man, and I'm, all, I'm more about action. So that was bad on my part. But from now on, we're going to focus on bringing change, and that's the most important thing. That at the end there, of course, was a nice little embrace, token embrace from Mike Gundy to his student-athlete. I'm a little bit cynical about all this. Now, for one, the person apologizing in the video was not Mike Gundy for wearing a T-shirt representing a total right-wing conspiracy news site that is not credible in any way, shape, or form. He should be the one apologizing for being that tone-deaf in this, as he would say, social climate, when he has many black athletes. And he's wearing a T-shirt of a news station that has said Black Lives Matter is a farce. He's the one that needs to apologize, not the student athlete, which he said, I could have went to a man to man. I shouldn't have done it on Twitter. Maybe, maybe not. But now we're starting to get back into that really uh, iffy area about policing how one protests or how one raises their opinions or thoughts on an issue. Well, you can do it this way, but you can't do it that way. You, You can go to the coach but you can't tweet. Many people immediately responded to Hubbard and said, why are you apologizing? Don't worry about it. Don't be apologizing for raising your concerns. Twitter is, for better or worse, a platform with which people can go and share their opinions. And he saw the picture. It troubled him. He spoke out. And then a bunch of his teammates immediately had his back. Immediately. This is troubling to me in a lot of ways. As a teacher, I'm trying to think, okay, in my classroom, I got a very diverse student population. So if I had 25 kids, you're probably saying eight to nine white, eight to nine black, eight to nine other ethnicity, mixed ethnicity, whatever. So for me, it is simply a matter of being cognizant of what I say. It's also being cognizant of what other people are saying so I can listen and try to learn something. Now, no offense, Mike Gundy, you aren't going to learn a lot about the issues of race in this country from One American News Network, or the things that you might learn from the One American News Network are not going to help you to better empathize with the situations that your players may be coming from, with what they're going through. So I'm talking as a sixth grade teacher at a public school. I don't get to choose who comes through my classroom door. I got to teach whoever comes through it. And that's part of the job I like the most. As a college football coach, he goes out into living rooms to these homes of the families of these student-athletes, and tries to sell them on coming to play for his program. Now, how can he do that with a straight face and then be so tone-deaf as to not just wear a One America News Network shirt, but to even take it a step further and earlier this summer say, well, it's a great news organization. That's where I get my information from. It goes beyond tone-deaf. It is someone that is almost actively not listening to the interest of his players, actively not taking part in the conversation that could really benefit someone like Mike Gundy, and for that matter, all the other college coaches, 95 plus percent of whom are white, the head coaches. 
It's why Lovey Smith, when he speaks out on it, he has instant credibility because he's actually able to speak some truth to it. And why, as a representative of the university and the football program, I, I wish he'd win more games, sure. But in this moment, it is... I sleep a little easier at night knowing that it's Lovey Smith leading those young men just a f- you know, few blocks away from where I live, that he has a handle on the situation that other coaches may not, that other coaches are going to kind of stumble over because they've probably been blind to it or just turning a blind eye at least to the systemic issues that their young black athletes are facing. For them, it's all about football. For most coaches, let's be real, it's about the sport, and I get that. It is sort of tunnel vision, and with the 80-hour weeks they're putting in in terms of recruiting and game planning and practice and all that, I understand why it would be sometimes daunting to actually broach those issues. They're laser-focused on winning games. Their livelihood depends on it. Same with Mike Gundy. But at the end of the day, as Lovey had spoke with Mike Tirico about It is also about growing the individual. And I know that's something, trust me, I would have been saying, give me a break. Five, six months ago, someone said, well, the good thing about Lovey is he grows the individual. And I'm thinking, oh my God, did did you see the Red Box Bowl? I don't care about that. But in this time, things change, right? I think perspectives change. Priorities change. So for me, yeah, that does matter a little bit. Now, hopefully he can make some bowl games and actually recruit a little bit better. But man, thank goodness that at least when it comes to being a leader of men, to borrow a cliche, Lubby knows what he's doing, especially now navigating some choppy waters. Mike Gundy can't say the same thing. Dabo can't say the same thing. And this is going to be interesting as it develops because the Oklahoma State thing may kind of fizzle in terms of it being a story and, well, are the players going to have a full-on mutiny and are they going to get Mike Gundy fired? And I don't even know if I would want Mike Gundy fired for that. But what I do want... For college athletes in particular, when we're you know knee-deep in the discussion about whether or not they should be compensated for all the time and effort they put into it, and then you mix in the fact that, well, right, most of them are black, and in the middle of this social climate, as Mike Gundy would call it, they deserve to have their voices heard. They deserve to mean something. Meanwhile, most leadership at most universities, white. Most college football head coaches, white. There's a schism here. That goes far deeper than Chuba, I hope I got your name right, Hubbard, <laughs> tweeting, I don't really uh, think this is cool. I ain't going to play again until I get an explanation why Coach is wearing a One American News Network shirt. I think that's okay. I know that that is not going to go over well with some old school people that are probably still holding on to the last vestiges of stick to sports, shut up and play. But man, is that reductive to think that even 18 to 22 year old young men can't have a voice, share what they think, that maybe they should actually have a bit of a say in terms of the program that they're a part of and who's leading it. You may say, well, that would set a bad precedent. It might, it might, because as we said earlier, 2015, Simon Sianovich makes a claim, and then what? Four months later, Beckman's gone, just like that. No one here was really crying about it, but... That was a situation where one single tweet opened up a Pandora's box and led to someone getting fired, and we could argue the merits of whether or not he should have been fired for the so-called offenses. I say so-called. There were some troubling things in that report, no doubt. But regardless, what's going on right now is a far bigger deal. No offense, Simon, but a far bigger deal than what happened in 2015. So more athletes are going to speak out. Football season is going to be really, really interesting. Because coaches will almost have their hand forced. 
if they want to continue to be credible when they go into the home of a young black athlete, they need to speak out on it. And we could say, well, that's pressuring people into saying things that they maybe shouldn't. As I talked with Kerry Davis about, is it wrong to necessarily shame racism? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't necessarily think it's wrong to shame attitudes and mindsets that are stifling society's progress towards, you know, loving your neighbor, as Luke Ford had so simply and yet eloquently put it in his Twitter video. Hubbard released a statement today on Twitter echoing where he's at right now. He said, I just want to say thank you to everyone for the support. I will start by saying this. I was never wrong for saying what I said. I'm a man and I realized I should have went to him as a man face to face rather than on Twitter. That's my opinion. But I had to hold him accountable either way. I'm glad things happened the way they did because things are being changed as we speak. If anyone truly knows me, they know I am a very passionate person. I care about my family, friends, teammates, and people I don't even know. I spoke out because I'm emotionally drained and I'm tired of seeing stuff happening without results or consequences. I realize I have a platform to generate change and I'm trying my best to use it accordingly. I'm a young black man that wants change. I want change that will bring a better experience for my black brothers and sisters at Oklahoma State. It's that simple. Over these next few months I have left at Oklahoma State, I will be working every day to bring change to this organization and to the world. I will be supported by my teammates along with people within this organization. To everyone else, trust me when I say that good will come from this. Chuba, not Chuba. There we go. So that was his statement on Twitter. And again, he still said, I should have went on Twitter. We could argue that. But at the end of the day, the message is what's most important, however it's delivered. So this will be something to follow as we get into training camp season and athletes begin speaking out more and more. So that's the good news, bad news, and I guess interesting news. The last story with Oklahoma State isn't necessarily bad news, and we'll see it develop. But the good news with state finals coming back to Champaign-Urbana, and then the bad news that Major League Baseball is currently pissing down their leg. They heard golden opportunity, and instead they mistook it for golden shower. Okay, we got Steve Holstein coming up here. This interview is about an hour long. Great stuff with a local radio icon. I don't use that term lightly because in my life, I think about the individuals whose voices were just sort of synonymous with Champaign-Urbana Radio. He's the guy. I remember distinctly in sales meetings, us talking about at SJ Broadcasting, well, what are we striving for? Who do we want to compete against? And Wixie, we would mention it. We even changed 105.9 from Classic Rock, which it had been for a long time to country, just knowing that there's that many country fans out there. But I don't think there were any delusions that we were going to reach what Wixie had done. And that's something that happened over the course of a quarter century with Steve Holstein at the helm in the mornings with a morning show that avoided the traps and pitfalls of a lot of the morning zoo sort of stuff. Honest conversation, people that really represented the community in which they were broadcasting. And you get that sense from this interview. He is a chill guy. Great radio voice, of course, but there's no pretense and there's no show. It's just a well-educated, intelligent guy that knows how to put on good radio. And even though he is no longer at Wixie, and again, the biggest shock, I think, in this community, if you said, what radio personality is safe no matter what? That would be the first name that came up. No question about it. It shows what a tenuous position radio is in right now financially. Now, he's going to be fine. I somehow get the sense that he's going to end up on his feet. You got a resume like that, you're probably going to be okay. So without further ado, it's Steve Holstein, 24-year run, Holstein and Company on Wixie 100.3 Country Music Radio here in Champaign-Urbana. It's a fixture of the community, and it was exciting to talk to a radio icon, Steve Holstein. It is the 200 level.
as you get to Wixie, were you a country fan to begin with, or what was kind of your career path that got you there in the first place? Yeah, yeah, I was, actually. I didn't start out that way. I, uh, thanks for asking. I started out in St. Louis, grew up there, and grew up listening to great radio in St. Louis, uh, KMOX Talk Radio. I'm a big, you know, talk podcast information junkie. And so I grew up in a household that listened to KMOX a lot. And then its sister station at the time was KHTR, uh, which was a, a hit radio station, kind of like Mix 94.5, a sister station in uh, Wixie's building. And so I grew up listening to those two stations, Cards fan, um, and just, God, man, I want to be in radio. And then I happened to be working at a restaurant where there was a radio personality. can't remember what station he was with, but he was uh, somehow affiliated with the ownership. He was a friend or something, and we got to talking, and we talked about Broadcast Center, which is a trade school in St. Louis. And uh, I'm like, this is the path I want. I mean, I knew in high school. And then um, uh, I, I had the opportunity, you know, there were speech and drama clubs in, mm-hmm. in high school. And there was a particular subset of that called radio speaking, where you would go and you would go to a, a school, you know, with the debate team and everybody else, but you would have to read a five minute script and you would be judged on your delivery and your content and your time because, man, you had to be exactly five minutes. Got to hit the post. Hit the post at exactly five minutes. And that's it, man. I was one of those you know, fortunate people that knew from high school and maybe earlier what I wanted to do. So then I go to Broadcast Center. They place me in McLeansboro, Illinois, down in Hamilton County. And that's my first taste of country. Never had any interest, never listened to it, thought it was hick music <laughs> and fell in love with it. Uh, there was a midday guy by the name of Danny Johnson who knew everything about country music. And this was back in the late 80s. And so that was my introduction. And uh, from there, I bounced around to like uh, Utica, New York and Virginia, uh, maybe one or two other stations. But ultimately, my wife and I at the time, we wanted to get back to the Midwest and uh, got an offer from this station and a couple of others. But this just, I mean, you know, Champaign-Urbana, it's a college town. And um, and it was Wixie and I did my homework and and uh, it just made absolute sense. And I'm, I'm glad I took the job. Over these years... Obviously, the disc jockey part of it, being behind the microphone. But were there other roles that you had to take on throughout your uh, time leading up to landing here in Champaign? Yeah, that's the beauty of smaller market radio. And Champaign is considered small market radio. Although Wixie and and the Illini Radio Group are, you know, as you alluded to in the beginning, sort of the the big dogs in the market. But um, although everybody's elevated their game. Um, because they've had to because of competition from, you know, podcasts like yours and Spotify and such and satellite radio. But yeah, in McLeansboro, uh, AM station, it went off the air like an hour after dark. Uh, I started out doing afternoons, which you're not going to start doing afternoons in a place like St. Louis no. you know, or even Champaign, Illinois. Overnights if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. And there are no overnights anymore unless you're in a really big city. So um, you know, the, the overnights are, are tracked or whatever. So I got to do afternoons. And then after a year, the program director morning guy left and they said, do you want to do it? And the morning guy program director had taught me enough that I could kind of muddle through. And I said, yeah. And then I fell in love with mornings. And so, um, and I've been at other stations before Wixie where I'd been either program director in middays or program director in mornings, but I don't know, there was something about mornings. So I think in my career, um, since I got to McLeansboro in the mid nineties and through today, I think all, but maybe two years, three years, maybe I've done mornings. Wow. Okay. So yeah. take me, take me through your typical day then for a morning show, which I'm guessing usually from five to nine. 
Yeah. So you're getting up, what, we're talking three o'clock and then doing some prep before the show, or do you try to knock that out the day before so you can just kind of get up and go? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. Um, you really are. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when people say, when do you prepare for your show? Um, it really is all the time. I mean, you're always looking at Twitter, you're texting your co-hosts, um, uh, you're, you're snapping pictures of something you see in town, around town, and, or you're, you're typing into your notes app. So it really is all the time. Now, that's, that's not to say that it's nonstop, you know, like somebody with a regular job because, you know, you're, you're typing away and then, boom, you go back to your whatever you were doing before, mowing the lawn or whatever, uh, you know. But um, to answer your question more directly, I would be up at 310. The alarm goes off at 310 and maybe once a week I'd hit snooze. But I, you know, I loved it and I'd been doing it long enough that getting up at 310, 315 was pretty easy. And I'd be at the studio a little before four, usually the first in the building. So I love being in the building first. Uh, we had, you know, seven radio stations there on West Bradley Avenue and um, flip all the lights on, you know, get the coffee ready for the rest of the, the morning shows and crew that are coming in. I might stop uh, for coffee on my way in. Um, but other than that, I'm there before four. If I, I always told myself and I always told my wife, if I'm there at four, I'm late. I just... <laughs> you know, there's something about wanting to be there at least an hour ahead of time. And then I'm going through the show stuff that I've written the day before, um, seeing if I still like it and then looking for new stuff. And I'm checking the newspapers, you know, I'm checking Spotted in Shambana. I'm checking Smile Politely, News Gazette, the Bloomington paper, Springfield paper, and um, and then just sort of the Internet as, as a whole to see what's big and what everybody's talking about. Did you... And then we've got to go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to ask if you found it easier to compile all this information with the advent of social media. You mentioned Spotted and Shambana, which that's a heck of a follow on Facebook for anyone that hasn't done yeah. it. Yet. But <laughs> as all these things start popping up, I think it'd be a double-edged sword where on one hand, you get all this great information that you could use, but on the other hand, it's almost too much to sift through if you really kind of go down that rabbit hole too deep. Well, that's where experience comes in. That that's uh, if I'm going to toot my own horn on anything in this entire podcast episode, it's that, and and that comes with time. That comes with uh, experience, and uh, and that's what the show had. Uh, Holstein and Company on Wixie. We had just this. My co-host and I, Melissa, and then up until last year, Andy. Uh, we all just kind of knew what worked and didn't. And we would throw stuff out prior to the show or during the show. Cause it's, it's, man, it's, it's, uh, it's living and it's breathing off the air as much as it is, is on as much as it is on air. Um, but you just kind of know, you just kind of start to talk about stuff or you start to formulate these conversations in your mind. If your co-hosts aren't in the room or if it's a weekend and you're thinking about it and you go, okay, I can see where this is going. And I know what my co-hosts responses are going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the amount of content available now for anybody, anybody, radio, TV, podcasting, blogging, whatever is unbelievable. It's knowing what to use and what to throw away. So, you know, years ago when I got in USA Today was the big dog, right? And yeah. you had radio show prep services um, and you had your local newspaper and you had your top of the hour network news and that was about it. So it was, it was a pretty even thing. And it was what you did with that content. Now it's all the content. We all have access to it. And some of us have sources, maybe some others don't, but it's getting rid of the stuff that has no impact. 
You mentioned how shows like that are living and breathing even when the mics aren't on. And I think about all the conversations we would have off mic. And, you know, sometimes by virtue of being off mic, we would say things that maybe, well, we probably can't say that on air. So let's kind of scratch that itch right now and then we'll come on fresh. But there'd be these other times where the conversation would get so engaging. And then it's like, oh, let's let's do that on the air. But the tricky thing is how organically conversations develop. Did you ever find an off-ear conversation difficult to replicate when you flipped the mic on? Um, you know, we had this thing, and I, I imagine it drove my co-hosts nuts, but they would start to tell me something about, and, and they would tell me a story about their weekend, or they would be reading a story online that they linked, you know, they clicked on from Twitter or something, and they would be telling me the story and telling me the story. And at some point I go, okay, this is, this is a conversation. I can hear this playing out on the air. And so literally I'd say, don't tell them anymore. Don't tell them anymore. I want to hear the rest of this. I can already hear where you're going with it. I know what my reaction is going to be. I know what your reaction and my reaction is going to be. Right. So when you work with people for more than a year to five, 17, 18, 20 years, as I did with my co-host on Wixie, um, I mean, you, you really get to read a person. And so Melissa and Andy, uh, who, who were, you know, a third and a third and a third of the show, I just kind of knew where they were going to go with stuff. And, you know, so Andy might come in, he's got kids and he'd say, oh man, this thing with my daughter and Girl Scout cookies. And let me tell you what happened when we tried to do a demo in front of the grocery store and this little old lady walks up and I'm like, okay, I don't need any more. Cause Save I know it. you, yeah. <laughs> I know you, I know where it's going. I know her reaction. I know my reaction. And, um, so, yeah, you just kind of learn that over time. That's experience. Yeah, I learned or had to learn, I should say, how to bottle that up because I'd pop in and Jeremy would be getting some show prep stuff and we'd get into a conversation and he'd say, right, up, up, save it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. but it's only two o'clock. We aren't on for another hour. But uh, that is something that you have to develop as you go through one's career on in radio. And you talk about your typical day. You talk about all the prep that you put into that show, which I'll be full disclosure, even at our most preparatory, we were never getting that nitty gritty. But that's kind of the nature, I guess, between sports talk and, and the morning show that you were hosting on a music station. So in a typical hour, how much time are you and your co-host on the air, having a conversation, even though it is a music station. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we had four breaks an hour and we would try to do something um, big, a big conversation. And that might only be two or three minutes going in and then something small coming out because it's not uncommon to hear the, the radio host say something and then there's commercials and then there's a jingle and then there's music and you don't hear anybody mm -hmm. for 10, 12, 15 minutes. Well, people are up in the morning and they have limited amounts of time, slices of time where they're tuning in. And so, you know, I, I guess over the course of a show, when you include all the little inserts, it might be 20 minutes, you know, sure. um, but you know, we still played a couple of songs in between. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was a good balance, I thought. And, and, you know, we never had any complaints. So, well, to me, it's the pace. And I, I can only say, cause I substituted for Josh the prize guy on the Q morning show for a week. And I was used to this open format talk radio thing. It was just, oh, very relaxing. Oh, it's about 20 after. Yeah, I guess we can take a break, whatever. It, if we even had to. You get yeah. to the Q Morning Show, and that's top 40, so that's even more just rapid fire. Uh, did you find that pace was something that came easy to you, or was that something that over the course of time, especially at Wixie, that you guys had to continually fine-tune? 
Oh boy. Gosh, you're asking me to go way back in, in my memory too, you know, cause the show was around 24 years. So, um, you know, I will, t- I will confess that, you know, I was visiting my mom in St. Louis and she pulled out this box of cassettes of old air checks and an air check for those who don't know is just, just your show recorded, but with all the music out of it, you know, every time you would turn on the microphone, the tape recorder or the audio recorder, the digital audio recorder, whatever would start recording. And so you've got this compressed show, um, which now radio hosts use for podcasting, by the way, as you know, you know, you've got music morning shows, but they'll take all their talk parts and kind of edit them down, throw them up online as a 20 minute podcast. So, so anyway, but I go back and I listen and, um, I think, you know, the, the program directors that I had, they were, they were like good at telling me, you know, this is good. It could have wrapped up faster. This would be better if you'd have ended it here. You should have gone longer here because I wanted to hear more about this element of it. And so I've always had, you know, for the most part, good program directors. And so over time, you just pick up on it. It's not something anybody new in podcasting or radio is going to know right away. Um, but it comes down to um, just good, engaging storytelling um, without getting you know, too much into the minutia, the details, you know, of a story. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that is something that, uh, and I never had to do a traditional air check. I, I don't know how I avoided that some way, but, uh, you know, by, I guess by the point we were really doing it in earnest, there were podcasts I could say, just go listen to that. You know, if I had yeah. to compile something, I guess I could have at the end of the day, but, um, we had talked or sent a couple Twitter messages back and forth. This would have, uh, I think been a week and a half ago. And I heard back from you and you were like, yeah, I'd love to be on the podcast. And, and you would inform me through this Twitter message that, you know, I would have said yes either way, but it actually turns out that, you know, I, I got a lot more free time now because I'm no longer going to be at Wixie. I got to be honest, it was a shock for myself because I remember distinctly in late elementary school, middle school, driving to Thomas Paine Elementary or Band Middle School, be Holstein and Company mornings on Wixie. You were an institution. So I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. What, what was that day like? You go in for a Friday show, right? A normal Friday show, just like any other. Yeah, it was. It was a normal day. I was there probably before four, like I said, uh, did the show. And um, I was actually in preparation, preparing for vacation because uh, I was going to be on vacation starting after that show on Friday. And so uh, my co-host and I, Melissa and I, we were pre-recording some stuff. You know, that's the awesome thing about um, radio and podcasting and all this today is that you, you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be live to be live. And so even when I was on vacation or she was on vacation, there were elements that were recorded, but sounded live. And so I was wrapping up some of that, um, pre-recorded live stuff. And, um, uh, I was invited into the, the general manager's office and, um, and I was just informed that they were terminating my contract. And, um, um, there was some paperwork that they handed me. They were very gracious. Uh, they were very apologetic. I knew not that I was going to be terminated, but I knew that there was a possibility. I knew that we were, are in the midst of a pandemic that has decimated temporarily, hopefully, but a lot of businesses, restaurant businesses and, uh, you know, maid services and, um, you know, uh, caregiving services. My, my wife and I are full-time caregivers. We've never used a caregiving service, but, you know, you can't, you know, initial, at least initially, you couldn't go into somebody's house. And media, because 
the first thing that people are going to do is pull their advertising. Okay, Always, I have a choice. Yeah. I, my, my business has just dropped off. I can, you know, let go of an employee or I can let go of my advertising. So, so yeah, so they let me go and they, I said, Hey, listen, I got a couple of emails that I should probably forward to my co-host uh, that are from listeners that she needs to be aware of. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll button everything up. So that I went back to the studio. I've got a backpack. I kind of lived out of the backpack. I didn't really have an office. Um, my office was whatever. Whenever I needed to prep, it was wherever I was, or I'd go to a coffee shop, or I've got a home office here uh, at my house. So I went back, forwarded those emails, and I just walked out as if it was a early departure on a Friday, and that was it. Man. And um, I went home, told my wife, you know. But then the rest of the day was it was a normal, you know. But in a way, it was because I was starting vacation that Friday anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I guess, good timing for it. But to me, it's, as you tell that, I, I'm thinking just in, in terms of length of time, right? Or, or length of service. You're out there for 24 years. And then rather, and you said they were gracious and everything, and I don't doubt that. But at the end of the day, even after some really significant news like that, things are relatively unceremonious. So is there a part of you that wishes you could have had, be it another show or a week or even a month, kind of like a farewell tour. You don't strike me as one with an ego, but at the end of the day, it is also about letting the listeners know, hey, I appreciate you guys for all this. Let's do a little bit of nostalgia. Y you didn't get that opportunity. I, I think for me, I was fortunate enough to get that for pretty much like six weeks for a, a show that only went a year and uh, I don't know, almost two years. So that's a far cry from what you were able to accomplish. Yeah. Six weeks is unheard of. I mean, I, <laughs> I unless you're announcing your retirement, unless you say, I'm, right. you know, I'm I'm leaving radio or I'm moving to another city or something like that. Then you can start the, uh, the long farewell or the short farewell. So yeah, you know, you, um, that, that really is the, the main thing. And I had, I put out a press release for that very reason, because I've seen people in this industry, um, who have, you know, been terminated, whose contracts have been terminated and you go on their Facebook page, the station, it's like, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? And so I really did feel um, like uh, the listeners after 24 years would want to know. Um, but I also wanted you know, that, you know, you brought up something that I hadn't thought of, and that is the opportunity to spend a week or two weeks just not only thanking the listeners for what they've given me, because I got so many gifts, so many gifts, but also for the radio station, you know, and, and, um, you know, there's, there's no bitterness there. I mean, I joined a radio station that made a huge splash, went to number one, and I got to jump in uh, four years in or whatever. And um, initially, they propped me up because nobody knew who Steve Holstein was mm. the first year. And then, you know, over time, it became this cool relationship between the Holstein and Company Morning Show and Wixie, and, and it was synonymous. So, so yeah, you raise a good point. You know, I, I didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye to the audience, to take phone calls, but also to, you know, every day um, in that last week or whatever that was to thank the radio station, you know. But it's a business and it's show business. It's a weird, you know, to say that is even sounds weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, you know, you, you know, I mean, it's you were there, but it is radio is is media. It's, it's a bit show busy. Not as much as, you know, <laughs> not as much as YouTube influencers and TikTok influencers, but yeah, that's apparently. more show biz, I think, than radio. So, 
uh, yeah, that would have been great. That, in in a perfect world, that would have been great, but it didn't work out that way. So yeah, I, I know for me it was a sense of closure and being able to kind of. And, and you're right. I mean, six weeks. Ha- however, that worked out. I'm still kind of scratching my head, like, wow, I was able to finagle six weeks out of the thing. But uh, at the end of the day, the, the closure element was something that, after having spent a decade out there um, in various different roles, as is something that uh, allowed listeners to reach out. And it's interesting having been on the radio on a daily basis like that, that it isn't people that will recognize your face, but you could be at the grocery store. And I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you could say to your wife, hey, do you want the Jif or the Skippy peanut butter? And then someone says, they turn around and they say, hey, wait, is that is that Steve Holstein? Did you ever get that voice recognition thing out? Because, uh, I mean, to be honest, before we've talked on the Zoom call or your Twitter avatar, like most radio personalities, I didn't know what you looked like, so I wouldn't be able to pick you out in a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty, at least uh, and especially up until like five years ago when social media, I mean, social media has been around longer than that. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's how people would recognize me or I might say my name and instantly had they not heard my voice, just saw my name on a piece of paper, they wouldn't put two and two together. But then I hear my name and then there's like, oh, oh, your voice. And then, OK, so, yeah, that that's kind of the beauty of radio, as you know, Um you can remain semi-anonymous. Mm-hmm. Now, my face is on social media, still is. Um, and we did videos and, and social media posts pretty regularly, very regularly. So more and more over the past, you know, five or six or seven years, I could just see somebody looking and going, oh, that guy looks familiar. I think I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's kind of the, still kind of the nice thing about radios. You can, you can live your life and Relative an- anonymity, sure. Yeah, and, a little bit, yeah. And, and what I also like about radio as a medium, and I really think podcasts have the same quality to them, is the intimacy of it. In other words, it's it seems like the microphone is not all that large of a shield between the person speaking and the person listening to it in their car or on their phones. And over the course of 24 years, you had to have developed quite a relationship with the audience. But I guess the question would be, having been that much of a fixture and especially with the reach that your guys' show had, uh, what was that relationship like? How would you characterize it? Um, I would say it was um, like, you know, like a member of the extended family. Like I, I, I really um, think that, um, you, you know, you're right. It's, it's distant, but you don't realize how close you are until somebody sends you a, a, an email or there's a Facebook post. And that person says, I grew up listening to you when I was on my way to school. And then, you know, I had kids and we're listening to you now. I've had people from out of state, you know, um, who live in Arkansas and Iowa and other places commenting and sending me messages on Facebook who say, wow, I, just, I heard the news. I saw the press release. You know, I don't live there anymore. I stream every once in a while. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like that uh, that that friend that's always I don't know. It's hard to describe that relationship. But I will tell you that everybody I ever met, um, they really felt like they knew me and they would quote things that I couldn't remember from the show. Sure. It's crazy, the stuff that they would remember. And Andy and Melissa and I talked about this all the time. And Melissa still she's on the air. You know, it's like they'll bring up something about, you know. Uh, me driving a golf cart into the water at Stone Creek Golf Course and, and because they're a golfer and they've almost done that. Uh, me, I don't know them, but the fact that they know me and they know the radio station, I just immediately have this bond with them. And I always will for as long as I'm here. 
uh, I'm going to have that bond. It's not going away. So when I when my name pops up and somebody recognizes me and said, you were on Wixie, I mean, and there's that instant connection. And I'm grateful for that. It is a pretty cool connection. And I think it's the fact that the habit that people have listening to a morning show, and that is just as much a part of their day as their breakfast. You know, I mean, that's just part of what they do and, and really, in a lot of ways, part of their identity. I was thinking the, the opposite side of that, having been in the talk radio format and even with this podcast format here, some of the interactions will be, well, I don't agree with this, right? So you'll get, I'll get a little bit of pushback and that goes with uh, the territory. But having done a morning show on a music format station, I, I know like one thing that stood out was when the Dixie chicks got in hot water back, I think in 2003 or 2004. Um, but were, did you ever have experiences where you would get listener pushback? for something that you may have talked about? Or did you find that the format itself um, sort of drove you to, well, I'll hit on these things, but maybe best if I don't touch on this or that? Yeah. You know, that's that's a conversation we've had a lot lately, especially given our political climate and then also given uh, the pandemic. Um, and then most recently um, with George Floyd, you know, although that's, that's an easy one, right? I yeah. mean, a man died, but um, you know the the thing with the, the one of the things that so there's two things with that. One is that I'm, I'm you know you've got to be very well read when you're um, hosting any kind of show. I don't care even if it's a Q96 like you mentioned, and your primary audience might be you know women who are 34 and under or whatever. It still benefits you uh, to be incredibly well read on all topics. But I also know that people tuned in because they just wanted to hear two friends talking about stuff that just wasn't too deep and heavy because their Twitter feed and their social media friends, especially lately, have been going too deep and heavy. And, and, I, and I bet there's no study on this, but they ought to do a study on how many people have snoozed their friends over the past you know, year or two or three or whatever. Oh, probably quite right? a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. We had a conversation on the show a couple of weeks ago before it wrapped up about, you know, you snooze a friend for 30 days. I'm tired of what they're talking about. They're, they're misinformation, whatever. And then all of a sudden, 30 days later, boop, they're, they're you know, they're back. And you're like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Have they, have they, have they, have they mellowed out a little bit? Nope. They haven't 30 more days. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, Michael, it's, it, it really comes down to, um, what does the audience expect, you know, and, and we could push the envelope a little bit and talk about COVID-19 and masks, you know, you can't avoid stuff like that at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but for the most part, people tuned into us and what made us popular and what, um, you know, kept us alive for 24 years is the fact that we talked about a variety of topics, most of them not too deep, but most of them not very shallow either. You know, we didn't spend a lot of time on TMZ. Yeah. Yeah. So Which, I, mean, I never had pushed. I rarely ever. I can't remember when I ever had pushback from, you know, I, I tell you what, we had occasional calls in the last couple of months from people who were like, stop telling me to wear a mask. <laughs> you know, we would we would be doing our due diligence, not that we were asked to, but we would be interviewing Julie Pride mm -hmm. or talking about Anthony Fauci in, in the White House and saying, look, you know, we all look stupid. Right. Wearing these masks right now. But the experts are saying initially they weren't. The right, experts right. are saying, just put on a mask, man, and it keeps your stinky breath from sharing everything. And so we would talk about it in a lighthearted way. But some people occasionally would say, 
you know, hey, quit talking about masks. Don't tell me what to wear masks. I don't need to buy masks. You know, and so, you know, we we didn't overdo it. But one time is enough for some people who uh, are hearing about masks from this network and that network and this Twitter feed. So but really, for the most part, uh, management never really said anything. So I think that that speaks to our choice of content and the audience. Most most of them, we, we rarely heard things. So that's good. Yeah, I, it's tricky from a sports perspective because, at least on the music format, you and you guys had a tried and true thing going there for 24 years. With that much experience, you know, you would have been able to find the fodder that you need to for that morning show. I think in the absence of live sports, I've just sort of deliberately said, you know what, we're going in. And, and a lot of the guests we've had the last two weeks have been about either, well, not so much the pandemic, but to be quite honest, uh, starting with the George Floyd thing and then really getting into a discussion about race because as someone that's been covering sports, professional and collegiate for this long, it would seem kind of tone deaf if I didn't broach it considering all the black athletes I've interviewed and the black athletes I cover. And then I'm like, you know what? conversation stops here. I don't want to make people uncomfortable, but that that's an interesting point you raise where you mentioned the mass thing. And I think at that point you get a little bit of pushback on that and you just kind of throw up your hands and say, well, I tried to do it in a, in a non-offensive way. And I guess, well, what can you do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you also have to know to ignore those. If we've gotten 10 calls, received 10 calls from people on a, after talking about mass, that would have been one thing. Um, but we didn't, it would be one person, one guy who just is tired of hearing about it. He's tired of being told to wear a mask. He doesn't want to wear a mask. He doesn't see the point of wearing a mask. And his research shows that, uh, <laughs> you know, masks do nothing and, you know, masks cause their own diseases, whatever. And so you, you know, you, you say, Hey, listen, I get it. You know what? Tune in again in 15 minutes, tune us out. Well, you've already tuned us out. Or you're already said, we're sure. going to play a couple of tunes here. The next break, we're going to be talking about the latest asteroid that's going to zoom by earth and supposedly air quotes here. If you can't see it, uh, you know, <laughs> kill us. Right. So, but you're right. I mean, you've done, you've done, I, I think you've done the right thing. You know, uh, you, you talked to Carrie Davis and that was a very compelling interview. I I'll be honest. I'm an Illini fan, but I'm not an Illini fanatic. Sure. And so my depth of knowledge when it comes to former players beyond the obvious ones is very shallow. It's very near, narrow, but Carrie's, if anybody listening to this hasn't heard uh, podcast episode uh, 95, yeah, I'm starting to lose track. Um, and I bookmarked it and I told my wife, I said, next time we're in the car going somewhere, we got to listen to that together because it was heart wrenching. And I got and Yeah. I mean, I know he's a, a former Illini football player, um, but I'd like to think after the pandemic is over and sports are back. I bet you're going to air somebody like that again. Oh, yeah. If if another situation like a George Floyd comes up, you're going to go, OK, I wouldn't have gone there before the pandemic, before George Floyd and the pandemic. But it worked, you know, and I mean, Kerry was great and it and it is important. And you're you're in you're in is the fact that he's a football player or former football player. And now he's a football coach. Well, I appreciate that for one. But also just during that interview with Kerry, I, I had about 15 moments where I said, whoa. You know, and, yeah. and it, it was eye opening for someone that I talked to many times about football and cannot wait to talk about football with them as we get into August and September. And and fingers crossed, there's actually some games on the field. But um, that that is one thing that the podcast format affords is that openness. And I think me and him had a 70 minute conversation could have went another hour if we really wanted to. But as you have started to dip into podcast listening and even podcasting yourself, 
I mean, do you see a future in that for you? Because for me, it was just a, well, I got to do something behind a microphone. And I guess that's the one do-it-yourself way that you can actually kind of keep going with that. So where are you at with that in terms of your own plans for it? Well, I'm here to announce on your podcast. Okay, exclusive. I a multi-million dollar offer. Wow. Yes. Uh, I will be part of Joe Rogan's new podcast <laughs> deal with Spotify. Uh, he will introduce me to his universe mm-hmm. uh, on his first Spotify podcast. And then, of course, after that, uh, it's Belize. You know, I'll do my show from Belize. So I and uh, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. No, Somebody, you got it right. I think that's yeah. correct. So it's funny because I have two... I have multiple social media accounts. I have a Holstein page. Right now it's Holstein on radio, facebook.com okay. slash Holstein on radio, but that, that may change. I don't know. Uh, and then I have my personal account. Um, and I think on my personal account, I shared the same press release. And I think I jokingly said on my personal account, well, I guess I got to start a podcast because, you know, you know, and, and everybody listening knows everybody has a podcast now. Mm, pretty much. So, um, yeah, and a couple of people messaged me and said, "I'd be a part of that." What do you, you know? Let me know how I can help. So I have a, uh, a content publishing company that creates content for other radio people that is used um, every morning and every day on other radio stations around the world, and that's something I started back in the '90s, and that has its own podcast, um, which is why I have a pretty decent microphone here for our podcast today. Um. So I haven't been able to spend as much time on that as I wanted to, you know, that's going to change now. So to answer your question, do I, do I have podcast plans in the work? I don't know. I I think so. I think uh, I love talking to people. I love the fact that I'm being interviewed by you, but also just talking to you about stuff that's media related and sports related. And that's just kind of, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And so I can, I can hear myself just talking to folks in Champaign-Urbana and East Central Illinois and getting it out there like you're doing. And, and not only that, but I think about my own podcasting journey. That, that sounds really ham-fisted, but you know what I mean. And how this pandemic, in a way, forced my hand into... It used to be where if I had to do an interview, it would be right here in the studio. I didn't know that Zoom existed. I had Skype, but very limited experience with it. I feel like the Zoom crazy people that we are right now it's going to be that much easier for you, for example, start a podcast and then you can just schedule Zoom interviews, line them up. And before you know it, you got 20 shows ready to go over the course of a couple months. And that's one thing that has really opened up what we can do is just having conversations, but not requiring the person to actually come to your studio or uh, yeah. they have to be on specifically during your morning show hours. It just opens a lot of possibilities up. Yeah. I mean, if Nora O'Donnell on CBS or the gang on Channel 3 in the morning can do most of their show, their interviews by Zoom. I think we can do podcasting, which, by the way, as a side note, I think TV has pivoted very well. You know, we've all had to, including radio. I know a lot of radio stations had remote, you know, hosts. We didn't. We did it like for, you know, like the, the deepest of the deep week of the pandemic. And I couldn't even tell you when that was. Melissa was in another studio for like a week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got a shield up in front of me and, and, uh, and so we were back together, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of negative that's coming out of this pandemic. It's not over with folks. If you're listening and you think you're done, it's not over with. Um, but, um, there are some things like this that are the positives. Um, and of course the, you know, maybe the relationship building that's come out of it, you know, you've had to, 
I'm, have you seen more people on bikes and walking in the past three months than you ever yeah. have in your entire life? In Absolutely. Your I mean, I know yeah. I even made the decision when this thing started that if I'm not going to be in school, yeah. I don't want to be inside all day because I would go stir crazy. So I, I'd find just random things to do around the house. But more than that, I've ran, apart from two days, I've ran every single day since the pandemic started. So that would have been March yeah. 10th. And I, I'm a runner anyways, but that was like four times a week out of this sort of drive to make sure that I'm outside and I'm doing things. It is a daily occurrence. And you're right. It's, it's everybody now. And the biggest thing for us in our neighborhood is just people walking their dogs, which they were doing anyways. But now that they're home with their dogs all day, which is just amazing that you see just a constant stream of dog, dog walkers throughout the day. It's pretty cool. And multiple times a day, I'll yeah. see some dog that I've never seen before in my neighborhood being walked two or three times a day. Now, here's a question for you, Mike. Mm -hmm. Do you think now, you know, they're talking about a second wave. Let's assume that we get through some sort of second wave, whether it's small or large, and they find the uh, the cure and we get our shots and everything's good. And this time next year, for the most part, COVID-19 is, is a memory. Do you think you're going to see the same number of people on bikes and walking their dogs mm -hmm. as you do right now? Not to this extent, probably. I, I think that'll, just by virtue of people going back to work, for the most part, back in the office settings or wherever they work, that, that's going to be a big part of it. For me, the biggest litmus test in all this is how quickly can I get back to a sporting event, or I'll be honest, as much as I love sports, summers for me, and, and I'll this is going to sound silly, but part of the reason I thought it was kind of attractive to become a teacher is then I'd have summer vacations to go to all the concerts I wanted to. Yeah. So for me, if I can find myself at uh, my Dave Matthews band weekend in Indy next year in mid June, I'm good. You could tell me I can't attend another mass gathering until then. But if you say next June, I'm good to go. I'm fine with that. But I think that it has, if there is a positive benefit, just the, just how important it is to just get outside and be active. I hope that that changes a lot of people's habits with that because that's one easy step to just becoming healthier in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, walking, you know, the, the research is out there, even a 10 minute walk and I, we, and I do multiple a day. Um, you know, I got to get up from my office chair and do that, but it, it does make a difference. But uh, yeah, you know, you raise a good point. I mean, things like concerts and fairs and festivals and uh, even just little art fairs and festivals in downtown mm -hmm. or beer fest. We have a lot of those around, you know, those little things where we would be saying, hey, what do you want to do? I'm bored. Let's go to the, you know, the blank fest. And those are non-existent for the rest of this year. And so uh, those were probably taking up a lot of that time where now we're walking our dog and so on, you know? So I, I think, I think it's a combination. You're right. I think, you know, part of it is we're just kind of going to get back into our old habit, but part of it is we're going to have concerts and we're going to have sporting events to get back to. So I, someday. I, I find that I have to err on the side of optimism when it comes to the vaccines and everything like that. As you were talking about that, I was thinking back to, the moment I knew or even subconsciously felt like, okay, if this thing gets any worse, our lives are probably going to change. And I don't know if you recall the first weekend in March, that would have been Illinois and Iowa played a basketball game at the State Farm Center. It was an awesome game into the season. And then it was that very week where Tom Hanks got it. NBA season got canceled. And then, uh-oh, this thing's real. What was the last public thing that you did, whether it be a, a restaurant you went to or meeting up with a larger group of people? What was the last thing you remember before this all broke? You know, Mike, that doesn't it feel like six years ago? It does. Even though yeah. I will say the last, for whatever weird reason, March and April were a slog. 
May and June have went like that. I don't know if it, it feels the same for you, but it does feel like maybe that sense of, well, this is becoming the new normal. That's kind of accelerated yeah. time, but it was slow. It was extremely slow. Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to remember the last, I mean, I'm a big movie person. Um, part of it is that, you know, I'm a radio host, um, you know, and so I always like to kind of be up on, you know, the big blockbusters. So I would be at a movie once a week. So it was probably a movie, but I can't even tell you what one. There's so much that's happened uh, in this country since then. And then, and of course, now with, you know, with my uh, my radio career on pause. So I, I don't know for sure, but I do remember those days leading up. And because I am constantly looking for information, I, I mean, I remember being what I think was on sort of the bleeding edge, not the bleeding edge, because the, you know, you go back and you read articles from January where some researcher who knows what's going on with pandemics and is constantly monitoring it, you know, and says, hey, y'all, we need to we need to pay attention to this. But I think, you know, for average Joes, I felt like I was probably a couple of weeks ahead. And in fact, my wife and I, we talk about this where I came home with like this 40 pack of toilet paper. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you never and know. like, I know I don't get freaked out by this stuff. I don't. But there are shortages in other countries. And I just feel like this is the one, you know, where we might have shortages of stuff. She's like, oh, you're, and I'm like, it's not going to expire. It's toilet paper. Right. And if things get really bad, Mike, I can peel it apart. It's two ply or three exactly. ply, right? You can spare a square if you need to. Spare a square, spare, you know, the, the one ply, take it down to one ply. So I don't know. I just kind of remember that being a, you know, a moment where it was kind of funny when we, when, when it had happened. And then, yeah, I think when, the the Tom Hanks announcement came in. That was a big one for everybody because everybody knows Tom Hanks. Yeah, pretty much. If you don't it follow the like NBA. But to, what, didn't they cancel the NBA game like right as they had started it or it, something? It was a Wednesday night. We had a band practice for a gig in April. So we're trying okay. to get, get ahead of it. And we go in at 7 o'clock. And on the way there, we had been talking about, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. It's a little, a little scary. I mean, it's going to be a news story for sure. How much is it going to affect us? We get out of there two hours later at 9 o'clock and... I get home and Kara and I were going to go down to New Orleans for spring break. Spring break was the next week. We had our trip ready to go. And that very night we just said, you know what? Let's, let's get our chase credit card points back and <laughs> make sure yeah. that we're, well, we'll do this another time, but it was, it accelerated so quick. And that first week in particular, it was like shell shock. In other words, uh, the first time I went to schnooks, you know, I, I tried to get there at 6am on that Friday morning and I, they were out of toilet paper, go figure. But we got our canned beans, and as you said, they don't expire, or at least they don't for a while. So we, we kind of started a little pantry, and I'm not that kind of person either. I'm not the kind yeah. of person that would normally turn into a survivalist. Well, but it happened. So, right, Tom Hanks, NBA, and then before the weekend, which was going to be the first weekend of spring break, the governor is – didn't he announce that going into that weekend prior to spring break that they were going to – Man, I, I was feel – was it the week of spring break? I feel like the week of spring break, that Friday, he officially okay. ordered the stay-at-home thing. Okay. And yeah. that – So it's interesting. It's interesting that there was a run on toilet paper before? and such in, cham in Champagne going into the weekend before spring break when really the governor hadn't announced it yet. I mean, it became real thanks to the NBA and Tom Hanks. Pretty much. I remember I mean, too really before Champagne made their emergency emergency declaration and it includes some old clauses that are a little bit, you know, 1800s in their archaic nature. And one of them included 
you know, well, alcohol sales. And so I go on a Friday morning at Schnucks and normally you wouldn't see someone with the 24 pack of beer and a big thing. Captain Morgan, I'm like, Hey, listen, if we're going to be locked in, we, we need something here. So yeah. yeah okay. We're including that with all the essentials too. Uh, but- well, there was a state, some state somewhere where they did ban, I think alcohol sales initially in the lockdown. That was, as, <laughs> well, and they just- reversed that with like by the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, if we've learned one thing as a country, it's prohibition is not going to work in America. <laughs> we do not take kindly to that. You mentioned movies. Uh, just a couple more questions for you here. You mentioned movies, and we had uh, briefly talked, I think right before we came on the air about it, actually, about 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's one of my favorites. But you say that you're, you'll often check out at least the bigger blockbusters so you have that material to talk about. But what is the best movie theater experience that you've had? Or if not, you know, and that, that's yeah. that's tough, but at least one that yeah. sticks out in fairly recent memory. Yeah, I mean, are you talking about because because the best movie theater experience would be whatever movie that was, and and um, you know, the best movie theater experience to come is probably going to be the one you know in July or August whenever I go back and and see whatever it is. Probably, I don't know. Did they? I think the James Bond movie. Did that's they, coming out no, November. That's in November. The big yeah. one in the summer is. Tenet, which is by yes. Christopher Nolan, and I think that's yeah. coming out into July. They just pushed and it I back. I also a few saw weeks. that they are going to re-release. Um, oh, what's his movie with Leonardo oh, DiCaprio? Yep. Yes, tenth anniversary re-release of that. I think roughly the same week, and I might go see that. So my 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 next best experience in the theater is going to be that first movie where I settle in. I don't even have to have the snacks. I just want to settle in, yeah. shut everything down for two hours. Uh, phone included. So I don't know. I mean, um, I, I have to tell you, I, I love all movies from um, Daniel Day-Lewis flicks, which uh, you and I were talking about before this started, to some of the quirky stuff that we find on, uh, you know, on Amazon and Netflix. Um, but the 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 day that I, I settled in to watch uh, Avengers Endgame, was just incredibly satisfying because it was the end of 20 something films mm-hmm. and it was the end of a, a year long wait to see what happened after infinity war. And I don't know if you've seen the Avengers, or the, the, the Marvel movies. Full disclosure. Uh, I've seen Iron Man one and two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have and, multiple friends that say, Hey, I'll make the list for you. And then you yeah. just got to rip through it on Disney yeah, plus. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, it's it's weird because I will tell people some people and they just kind of go what what's the point? And it's like well if you watch the first few and then you sprinkle in a little Captain America. Or my wife she uh, she's a big fan of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy's mm-hmm. um, Chris Pratt. And as uh, many females are apparently. Yeah, and well, so what happened was when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I'd seen it. A couple of friends of ours called us up and said, "Hey, we're going to a movie." Uh, we're going to go see, and we were like, oh, great. That's a group. My wife was like, super. She's not a big movie person. Yeah, let's go. We love hanging out with that couple. Let's go see the movie. And they text me back and they say, by the way, we're going to see Guardians of the Galaxy. We haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I get to see it for a second time. And my wife was like, oh, okay. Uh, all right. And I'm like, you trust me on Guardians of the Galaxy. The soundtrack makes it. Mm-hmm. She loved it. She loved it. And I would recommend it for you. So that was an experience because you took, you took 20 something movies. You made us wait for that last one. Um, nearly every movie was good, but the way they wrapped up, you know, 10, 11 years was phenomenal with so many different characters. I mean, it was really a phenomenal movie, but you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, I can't remember the other uh, movie you mentioned before we started the podcast. There will be blood. 
there will be blood and then the one um phantom thread was the most phantom recent thread one. yeah which we agree really has no plot but that's okay <laughs> for me it's about yeah, it's it's good i just i just uh i have no singular experience that i think just you know was was the be all end all movie experience for me uh you know but i just like a good movie and i like the experience of going and just tuning the world out do you go solo sometimes occasionally do you, you know, like that or do you prefer to have someone there? I, I like the solo movie thing. As yeah. You mentioned winding down and kind of checking out for a little bit. To me, that's a really good kind of equalizer. It depends on who you go with, too, though. Like, yeah. you know, I can go with some friends who don't say a peep, and I'm not a talker. I'm not a talker in a movie. Once it, once the lights go down and the trailers begin, it's begun. Mm-hmm. I don't want – I want to see the trailers, too. So, yeah, solo is great. I'm fine with that. Uh, and if I go with a friend who, uh, who uh, doesn't talk a lot, then that's great. So – yeah, whatever. Last question for you. Yeah. Going back to radio. You had said something, and I don't want to parse words too carefully or anything, but I think you said, oh, yeah, radio career on pause. And I'm, I'm guessing in terms of terrestrial radio, and you're always going to be finding things to do radio-related, whether it be podcasting or otherwise. But what would be, I think in this area, we have three radio groups and they each kind of have their hands in different niches. Uh, IRG, as you mentioned before, probably the widest reach with all seven stations and a variety of different genres. But is a community like this uh, the overall health of radio in Champaign-Urbana? Where does it stand now in 2020, uh, in your opinion, as compared to maybe when you would have started at Wixie or maybe at the beginning of this millennium? How have things changed for the better or uh, how have realities maybe changed things for the worse? Well, I think the health of radio is still solid. Um, I think that it's uh, even, champ- you know, during the recession, Champaign-Urbana as a whole fared slightly better than the rest of the country. Uh, and I think radio included because we're in a, you know, that's a big university. I don't want to say bubble because it makes it sound like we're impervious because that's not the case. Uh, nobody is right now. But but radio is healthy and we're, we're still competing. You've still got, you know, name brands on the radio both in terms of call letters and personalities. Um, everybody's still doing their best because we're all competing against each other, but we're also competing against guys like you, Mike, who are podcasting and putting out good, you know, good podcasts. The News Gazette, which is now doing podcasts and Sirius XM and, and so on. So uh, radio's health is good. Radio's income, like a lot of uh, media businesses and you know just individuals, is in a rough patch right now. Uh, compared to when I started in in Champaign, uh, I you know I guess radio's health was good. Its income was no doubt better. I can't remember completely, but then it was you know you had you know you had AM and FM. A couple of stations were streaming, maybe probably not making any money off the streaming. So. Um, yeah, radio's great. Radio is it's it's reliable. It's friendly, you know. That's where good local radio personalities matter because people turn on the radio, they hear a familiar voice. If there's a storm, they can get the information on their smartphone, but if they hear a personality talking about the storm, they know, "Oh, I'm not the only one who's a little bit nervous about this tornado that's ripping through or coming through uh, whatever town on the outskirts of Champaign." So, that's that's the difference um between um you know, a lot of other media and those that have the personalities. So, but I'm optimistic about radio and, you know, 
and you know whatever it has. Well, I think there's an old thing that uh, we used to say at the station that as long as there's cars, radio will be yeah. fine. And I, I agree with that certainly to a, a large extent. And if anything, it's just going to have to adapt like any other medium. And fortunately, I don't necessarily see podcasts or Spotify or anything getting in the way of good radio shows finding a way to be successful. And in a community like this, you know, it 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 seems like there's peaks and valleys. One example would be the music industry or the music scene. Industry is a big word, but music scene locally is in a valley right now. But mm-hmm. people remember, wait, I like going to shows. And people remember, oh, I like being in bands. And it'll rise. So it'll be interesting to see whenever that rise takes place again locally. But uh, I have no doubt that in some fashion you will be part of that. Uh, you know, ra- local radio legend. I mean, I'm not trying to throw hyperbole or anything, but... 24 years at the number one station in the mornings being the most recognizable voice in, in town. I, I mean, I got to be honest, I'm struck by how there is no apparent ego whatsoever because <laughs> you've probably met some people on the radio that, you know, you got to you got to like yourself to a certain extent in order to uh, make it up the ladder a bit. Yeah, I, I just I find it's uh, it's less complicated to not have an ego. It's less complicated to, to just be nice. And to know that um, this 24 years, it was a gift. And, uh, you know, I gave as much as I received, but it, it still was a gift. And, um, um, and gosh, man, I mean, you know, you you were in radio. You're a teacher. You're a podcaster. There are so many worse jobs. You know, there are oh, people yeah. that, you know, when I would drive into work in the morning, it'd be 345. And I might stop at the Circle K for a cup of coffee and I might occasionally feel, oh man, it's, I'm tired. You know, I had a busy weekend or it was a late night for whatever reason. And I see a Doritos truck driving down the road or a Budweiser truck. And I think that guy had to get to the distribution center 25 minutes ago to pick up his truck for his first delivery. How can I possibly not love this job where I get to go into a cushy studio uh, and just crack a mic and just talk to friends, you know? And so, um, if you've got an ego in radio, especially these days, there's something wrong with you. And yeah, even in television yeah. or, or newspaper or whatever, you got an ego, uh, you just don't care about the people and the audience and the writer, the, the listeners and the readers and all that. It's, it's, it's more about you. And it's not, it's not about me. It's about me sharing lots of information and silly stories and taking phone calls. That's all it was. Yeah, a lot of people would, in other professions, if they ask, well, what was the hardest thing about radio? And whatever that may be, you share it, and then it'd basically be the world's smallest violin playing for all all radio personalities. When, like you said, at the end of the day, you strip everything back, and it's just getting behind a microphone yeah. and talking with friends. And whether yeah, that be people in the studio with you or whether it be listeners, and I know that a lot of people in the area, uh, you know, Holstein and Company, and, and your voice in particular, was a part of their their everyday routine. So whatever path you choose to go forward, I'm sure that they will find their way to you uh, wherever that's going to be. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I just want to say, people can't see this, but have you shared a photo of your haircut with your audience yet? Because dude, that is awesome. The that man is, bun? I want to know, is that a runner's haircut or is that a COVID haircut? It is, it is, it is well, both. It's aerodynamic. I maybe yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I'm no physicist, but, and it's also that I haven't been. Oddly enough, was going to go get a haircut right before our New Orleans trip because what I can do, if you look at my Twitter avatar, my hair's back. It's slicked back and all that, and I got some product or whatever in it. Uh, but if it grows a certain length, 
then it just gets hard to handle. So I just kind of put it up like that. I'm going to get a haircut in a bit, but I, I did notice that when I would wear my hair down and not up in a bun, the kids at school were disappointed. That became yeah. like my thing. And it's low maintenance. There's no no styling. I just get out of the shower, put it up, and it's good to go. So it's I like it. I'm envious because right before, I'm like you, right before everything went down, I think I had a haircut appointment sometime in February and I canceled it. I thought I'll get to it in a couple of weeks. It must have been early March maybe because then everything shut down and I'm like, oh man, now I'm <laughs> stuck, you know? And and so it's it doesn't, you know, I'm, no, I'm it looks Zoom fine. Here. It looks fine, but it's the longest it has been in decades. So Well, give it another couple of years. Man, it's not man bun length though. Give another couple of years and you can do this. It took about two years to get it to a length up top, but I had gotten into this routine of getting the side short with my uh, my trimmer at home. So it's yeah. it, every week I probably spend about 10 minutes total on yeah. the thing. So that that is nice. Yeah. It looks good. Well, it I looks appreciate good. And it's that. and it is good for running. You're right cuz I'm not I'm not the I'm not a daily runner. I cycle pretty much every day just tooling around town. And uh you're right. You know, just having a, a haircut that doesn't get in your way while you're out there doing whatever athletic activity you're doing is is a bonus. So Yeah, it's not bad. And and the wife yeah. likes it okay too. So That's that's important. It is. She did, yeah, you'd have to think twice. Steve, I appreciate it. I know that uh, as you get going with whether it be podcast, whether it be getting back on the air, whatever venture you take in, I know people are going to be waiting to see what your next move is. And uh, we will be sure to share it, whatever that information is to our listeners as well. But thanks for being uh, not just on the show, but really a fixture in a community where there's been a lot of great media personalities that have come through here. But in that, uh, that short list, that Mount Rushmore of <laughs> Champagne, it's true, uh, Champagne Urbana Radio personalities you'd be right up there oh man that's that's nice thank you very much i appreciate that absolutely thank you steve steve holstein 24 years wixie mornings holstein and company like i told him and this is not hyperbole mount rushmore of champagne urbana radio personalities he would be on it and as you just heard great guy and i think he's gonna end up doing okay wherever that is, whatever station he ends up at again, because I'm pretty sure that his days in terrestrial radio are not done. But whatever he does, including a podcast, hopefully coming up soon, we will be paying attention to that. All right, got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. The best deals and prices online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdoe.com. Also, 4th and Kirby, online at 4th and for vintage-inspired Illini apparel. Stay cool, look cool doing it during these summer months, and you can use coupon code 200LEVEL or THE200LEVEL for 10% off your order, 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs. That's brianismyguy.com. Illini Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. We will see you later this week. We'll get one more podcast out there before I'm out next week. Until then, we'll see you in a few days. It is the 200 level.